Hi, I'm Sung Ray. I'm something else. You're a Black Girl Soul, a podcast where we discuss the Asian dramas we love from a Black female perspective. We are looking to be entertained, to learn about other cultures, and share our passion for these shows. Welcome. Hi, this is Something Else and Sung Ray. Our podcast, Black Girl Soul allows us to further explore our love of Asian film and television and to build community with others who also enjoy that medium. As you know, we are unapologetically Black and we bring our Black culture into our podcast. Recently, race has come to the forefront of American life and we believe that it is important to practice the privilege that having a podcast gives us. It would be grossly derelict of us to have this platform, but not speak about the racial issues affecting us as African-American women. Today, we are going to discuss Black identity, Black representation in K-dramas, racism and police brutality, and generational trauma. Sung Ray, why don't you start? So our first topic that we're going to be discussing today is Black identity. What is Black identity? What does that mean to us? What what does that say about who we are and our situations? So Black identity to me is the idea of what I am, who I represent as a Black woman. I don't represent all Black women because we are not a monolith. We are not one function that moves all together. We are all individuals with varying thoughts, varying situations, varying ways that we've come to be who we are. But in that, we share common backgrounds and common situations that allow us to be called Black people. Um, With that, my Black identity is that I understand that I am a child who grew up in a family that was pretty much a poor family. And in dealing in that situation, my family worked to produce us in a specific way. They were very big about education. And so that meant people needed to be able to go to high school, graduate, go to college. Um, That was just like your, what should be. And if you didn't get those things accomplished, there were, you know, Hey, what's going on with you? Repercussions behind it. And you could see what happened when you didn't follow the path that they had laid before you. In that my identity as a black woman is that I understand I'm responsible for speaking about certain things. I'm responsible for dealing with certain things and I'm responsible for just being aware of the people who came before me for me to stand here and do what I need to do. When something else and I talked about this earlier, cause this is a very serious topic, but when something else and I spoke about this earlier, we talked about our own personal walks, the things we had gone through as children, the things we had dealt with, the things we had experienced. And so Our first subtopic would be intersection of race and sensibility. And in that, we discuss certain things like, for instance, me learning the object of being ridiculed. (laughs) Mm. And it's sad, but being ridiculed in a variety of ways. I'm a person who I lived in a world where on one end, I was ridiculed for not being Black enough, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yep. I spoke too properly. I didn't listen to the same type of music everyone listened to. I shared with her a story about being laughed at because I was reading a book on the front porch and I thought that was so like, are y'all serious? You laughing because we reading? Also being in schools and in places where I was placed in situations where when I got there for the black people, I was too black. And for the white people, 
I was too black. So like it was a weird space to mm-hmm. be in because the blackness for the black people was you're the ghetto kind of black. You're not like us. You're not of these mm-hmm. types of communities that we grew up in. Yet here I am. And for the white people, you talk too much about being black. You wear your hair black, sing your songs and do your dances. And so it was a a very strange place to be as a child. How about for you? What did you experience? Something else? You know, it's it's interesting the way that we each and many other black people have to navigate through not only the larger American culture, but also black culture. Right. Because in my case, being African-American on one side of my family and Nigerian on the other side of my family, I was a code switching fool as a kid. (laughs) I mean, I, I was using slang different types of slang, okay? Nigerian slang, African-American slang, you know, white slang, like depending on who I was dealing with, it was a toss-up. But one of the guiding factors, and you spoke to this, was that we were expected to assimilate. Regardless of who we were with, we were not expected to be ourselves. That was not acceptable. We were expected Mm -hmm. to fit in with others and their ideals of what we were supposed to be. So that's why Black identity has always been kind of a questionable concept for me, because I've more often than not had to fight to define myself and have that freedom. And and so if you are a person, like you were talking about, being ridiculed for reading on your front porch. If you do anything that is non-stereotypical, if you are not trying to get along, then either the larger society or Black society might shun or ignore you. So you learn to fit in until you get to an age or a place or I don't give a damn... (laughs) you know, situation where you just stop caring. So Black identity is just too big, frankly, to deal with here and now. But it's definitely something that we need to talk about because when you are a person or people like us who decide to just be authentically ourselves, enjoy the things we enjoy, like Asian television, you know, like music that isn't rap music or R&B music, you want to listen and enjoy everything, you're making a choice to fight. You're making a choice, especially us. I mean, I've yet to experience this yet, but when you kind of go so far as to have a full-on podcast about something that is not, that's not weird or crazy, but isn't typical, you don't know you're doing this. Just being yourself is an act of war. You don't realize this. You don't realize that you are throwing down the gauntlet. And this is an act of war to be yourself in society. And I can agree with you wholeheartedly. I I kind of feel like um, because we are the podcast that we are and because we speak about the things that we speak about, it is automatic line in the sand drawn. 
where people are saying, oh, you over there. Where, no, it's not necessarily that I'm over here. This is just something else that I enjoy in life as you might enjoy, for those who are the weed heads, you might enjoy smoking. (laughs) And, you know, I think overall that at the end of the day, us understanding who we are, getting to that place where we're comfortable with who we are, we are able to better function, move, and delve into these areas where we've had these places that are quote unquote, not traditional, according to what the black community expects from us. So one of the things I laugh about on Facebook frequently is there's posts that people will post up and they'll go, don't take my black card away, but, and then they'll list Mm. things that are conducively not black. Why? Because we all have some, we all fit into some area where you would be considered quote unquote, not black enough, or that's not what a black card, you know, you lose your black card for that. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think you're correct. This is such a huge and a wide topic. There's many places you could go with it, but overall, just us understanding who we are, being comfortable with who we are and functioning in who we are is our identity, our identity as Black people. I totally agree with you. I mean, I I think that it kind of leads us to our next topic, which is how Blackness is represented in Korean dramas and where Asian television as interest fits into our Black identity. So. For me, one of the reasons why I've enjoyed Asian television is that I I know this is going to sound weird, but I don't have the expectation of inclusion when I watch Asian television the way that I might when it comes to American television. With American television, we grew up seeing the token Black friend, the sidekick. And yes, there were definitely shows in the 90s and the 2000s that were Black shows. Like, there were Black people on television. It's not like with our parents where it was just like no Black people anywhere or one Black person like every five years or something like that, something weird. But in a weird kind of way, Asian television gives me a break from America. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but it's true. It allows me to see a world that's unlike my own. It allows me to see how other people see us instead of depending on the American point of view of things, right? Even though the television by and large that we watch is very stylized, like we know it's (laughs) not true South Korean or Japanese or Chinese cultures. It's just like a breath of fresh air to get a different view of the world. And despite that, we still have to deal with negative racist imagery. Because recently we were talking about the show Backstreet Rookie. And yet again, because of the racist Black imagery on the show, it reminded me, it brought home to me that. If we are not ever diligent about representing Black people in the myriad of ways that we exist, that racist imagery travels. The the buffoonery doesn't stay (laughs) in America. The minstrel show does Mm -hmm. not stay in America. It travels. And racism is everywhere, but it's a special kind of mix of stereotypical imagery that you end up seeing in an Asian television show that you know harkens back to American ingenuity, if you will, you know, 
firmly tongue in cheek. I call that racist imagery created by American racists. I call it their ingenuity. What do you think, Song Ray? And I'm a totally 100% agree because um, I've had several conversations since that episode that we are directly speaking about. There was an episode where they just kind of went over the top and they offended Jamaicans. They offended Nigerians. They offended the Rasta culture. They offended all Black people in this one episode. And this one short scene, as a matter of fact, because of what they presented on the screen and how they presented this. And one of the things I always look back to is part of my concern and part of my issue is that America has pushed forward a certain narrative. That narrative has been spread worldwide to the point that people see this. People see the way Blacks are treated. People saw the way we were presented in the media, the way we're presented in the news. And I feel like that if we're not careful about always being vigilant, always speaking up about, always saying something and making it known these things are unacceptable, then it becomes the culture elsewhere when that's not okay and that's not who we are. And that, again, back to that identity, you are now misrepresenting me. So, yes, I, I feel we, we, we do have to be mindful. We do. I mean, I think I think that we're fighting fights on a lot of different fronts, unfortunately, and it can be very tiresome at times. I know I'm suffering from Ooh, fatigue. Yes. And it's <laughs> listen, it's trying sometimes. And as a black person, we don't or at least as one black person, I know I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. I get surprised. I learn constantly. It's not like I was born with black skin and an understanding of race relations. Every day I learn something new. And so I think in a weird kind of way, that's why I forgive myself because with the recent murders and the police brutality that is publicized in America right now, I had to forgive myself for being shocked and hurt. I had to allow myself to be in that space where I and both frightened and ready to fight. Because what we're seeing now in America has always been here. And it saddens yeah. me, but as a person who just wants to be treated fairly with justice and respect, it's hard to, to kind of process all of this. Um, it's just hard. It's, it's hard to see the layers of corruption, if you will, to see, for example, Elijah McClain, to see him be molested and abused by the police when he did nothing. He was accused of nothing. And as a result of being stopped and brutalized and drugged by cops, he died. And yet, Somewhere in that process, the cops got off, the coroner found a way to excuse his death, and the prosecutors did not do their jobs. And this is just the most recent painful example. We have names upon names upon names upon names, and these are the folks with video, right? These are the people that we can physically we see. And think about all of those who died 
in such a painful, awful way. And they got no justice because there was no camera. I don't know. What do you think, Song Ray? And I a thousand percent agree with you because I think one for me, the one that if I'm thinking my personal, because I'm a single black woman and a black woman was shot in her home. She was Mm -hmm. minding her business in her home and people busted in the cops and they killed her. Why? Because you thought she was somebody else. You thought you were going into another home for another reason. And from that, she dies. And to me, that's serious that it's okay because those cops are still walking free. Those cops are still walking free. Why is that? Why are we not doing something about that? Why have they not even been brought in for, like, I I just, the whole system is not designed to protect the people that it claims it's supposed to protect. That's problematic to me. Right. And as you stated about that whole concept of the trauma and feeling like, you know, you've, you've gotten into race relation fatigue. I'm there. I'm tired. I am tired of crying. I am tired of being angry. I'm tired of having that rage in my stomach. I'm tired. Like really. You know, what is painful to me? It's like the names I remember and the names I forget. So like, yes, I remember Elijah McClain and Brianna Taylor and George Floyd But then I start to forget names. Like the names are there at the front of our consciousness for weeks. And then they fade away. And it's only their families. Because the rest of the world moves on. And it's a natural thing that happens. Like we're humans. We're not supposed to like remember everything forever. But you want there to be justice. You want their story to close in a just, fair, respectful manner. And and respectful for all, because one of the other things that I think really gets my goat during times like this is when other situations pop up or spring up, because as you stated, these people either had someone who fought that fight, because I don't know about Brianna if they had cameras, but I do know for Elijah they did. I do know for Floyd they did. There was another situation where they had it and the guy was shot and they turned it around to, oh, he was a criminal. He was being arrested for whatever, whatever. Again, even in these situations, is death, we we are now saying that the police have the option to just choose who they're going to kill and who they're not going to kill because it's okay for certain situations where they're able to apprehend people who've done horrendous things without killing them, but then for certain people who are of a different hue, they get killed because, oh, we're afraid. That's time out for that. Sorry, that's not working for me. Everyone deserves dignity. Everyone deserves respect. Even if they have made a mistake and they have caused the crime or they've done something wrong. Everybody deserves that same respect. Right. And that's why I've always pushed the narrative that police brutality is not actually a race issue. It is not a racially divisive issue because When you talk about systemic and institutional racism, here you have it, right? So Ahmaud Aubrey gets killed. And yet again, we have footage, fortunately, but he's killed. And they build this whole narrative that allows his killers to walk free. And only the blessing of video 
got him justice and his mother fighting the good fight continuously until his name was on all of our lips. And then they finally arrested his killers. So they were just as guilty right after they did it as they were when they got arrested. Why did it take, what, two months? It wasn't two months of the police building a case. It was two months of the police giving them a pass. Mm -hmm. I always have to remember there, but for the grace of God, go I. Because I've suffered from racism and police harassment, maybe not to the extent of a lot of other people. And, you know, more often than not, it is covert and not overt racism that I've suffered from. How about you, Songray? Oh, definitely. And I've got plenty of stories, but one in particular would be, I remember we were driving, it was me and a group of friends from college, we were driving to Atlanta to go for a trip. Like, I think it might have been spring break or something. And I'm the one driving and I'm speeding. I am speeding. So I get pulled over. And when I get pulled over, the cops are like taking forever. And they, the lady comes, it's a there are two Caucasians, one male, one female. The lady comes and she asks you know, a lot of questions about this, that, and the third. She goes back. She comes back again. So at one point she comes and she says, oh, well, we have a warrant for your arrest from a former ticket. And I'm like, warrant for my arrest? Wait, whoa. Wait a minute, ma'am. It's the middle of the night. It might have been like two, three in the morning. It's the middle of the night. I'm like, no, nah, wait a minute. Not, not going with you. No. So <laughs> she says, you have an option. You can either pay your ticket now or you're going to jail with us. And I looked at her and I just remember in my mind going, no, I'm not paying you. Right. Like that doesn't even make sense. I'm sorry. Can you go get blah, blah, blah. And I think I might've asked her to go get something to show me what she's talking about. Cause in my whole entire existence, I ain't never heard of paying anybody on the side of the highway in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. What, what I'm paying you with? Like this just wasn't working out for me. Right. And so she it was about, four of, <laughs> it was about four of us in the car at the time. And so she went back, she did, it's something. She came back. Well, I'm just going to issue you a warning. She gives me the ticket and she lets us go. And I was like, that was so freaking random. So weird. So shady. what if I had been shady times 10,000? Because what if I had chosen to pay this lady? What right. if I had chosen to give her the money? I had no receipt I was going to receive. And then you're telling me my two options are pay you or go to jail. I'm thinking, no, nah, you're not going to arrest me in the middle of the night like this. Like, no, nah, this not working either. It, it was just too much. And I, I think the numbers is what allowed us to be able to drive away from that situation without a problem. Because you had witnesses in the car. Right. And, and see, that's the thing. We've known each other for a long time. Yes. <laughs> if, if I wasn't in the car with you in that incident, I know we were in the same car two other times when we were stopped by cops. One time, I, I swear, I think they thought we were black men until they came around and they saw us, right? Because some of us had short natural hair. Some natural of us had step. afros. We were doing everything. Dreamlocks. Everything was going on in that car. <laughs> and we got stopped. And I remember I was driving my father's old rickety car and they came around and I could see the cop was surprised. When he looked at us. So he was expecting one thing and got another, right? And then the second time, we were in a part of the South in this small town 
We were where we should not have been. It was a fun time. But, <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, we were leaving this rickety old town after oh. hanging out with some fellas <laughs> early into the morning. And the cop pulled us over just because. We didn't do anything. We weren't breaking the law. I guess they were like, this is our town and you're not supposed to really be here. Let me give you a warning so you can get the hell out of Dodge, right? And honestly, those were light incidences. All of them, yes. Right. We both went to a high school that for that city was pretty posh. And we had to, or at least I know I had to, you can confirm or deny, Sung Ray, but I had to deal with kind of this low-key racism and classism because I wasn't white and I wasn't rich and I wasn't Catholic. And so you had to deal with being tolerated. If you didn't assimilate or if you weren't the type of good Black that they preferred, and I knew someone, I was friends with one who was a good Black, and they used to herald her to the rooftops. They loved her. But if you weren't like that, then you pretty much got ignored. Like they took your parents' money and you got an education, but I had no favorite teachers. I felt no kinship with the school. When I left the school, I was done. How about you, Sungray? And so for me personally, I think that, yes, I can completely agree with what you are saying. But I also feel like I'm somehow, some way, like I'm really shy, but in certain spaces because of always having to put myself back and always not being able to speak my mind or be who I want to be, sometimes I'm loud. And not loud in the sense of the, you know, ha ha ha, making noise type of loud, but loud. And then I'm going to, you're going to know who I am. I'm going to make sure you know who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I joined the black student group and mm-hmm. I even ran for president of the black student group. And we were getting ready to vote for president of the black student group. And they decided to pass out, not to everybody, but to specific bodies, these yellow bright cards telling you, Oh, well, if you didn't, your parents haven't paid up to date. You can't participate in things. I got a bright yellow card. Serious? Yep. Got a bright yellow card. And I will never forget that because in my mind, I thought, first, my mother and whatever she got going on has nothing to do with me. And second, why does everybody have to know what these yellow cards mean? Are you serious? So when you saw people with them or when you saw people because it was all in one day they gave these out. But when you saw people with them, you automatically knew, oh, you don't have money either. You broke too. Okay. Wow. If you were trying to participate in any specific type of thing. So if you laid low and didn't do anything or you just, you know, hung in the back, you were fine. But if you tried to participate or get involved or, you know, be out there. And again, I was trying to run for president of this black student group. I didn't have the eligibility and I couldn't run. Wow. And I remember, like, speaking of the same black student group, they, mm-hmm. it was a love-hate relationship with that school <laughs> because it's like they wanted the clout of saying that they had an organization like that, but they didn't really want they, anyone. They didn't allow them to function. Right. They didn't really want anyone in a leadership role who might 
make waves. And granted, these are high school students, okay? It's not like they were going to be Black Panthers. Like, let's keep it real. Um, (laughs) But they didn't want any kind of difference. They, I'm sure, wanted a particular type of Black. They wanted a particular type of Black leadership that they could control and that they could Mm -hmm. trot out for pictures, for the brochures, but wouldn't do much of anything except for maybe during Black History Month, right? So so we both grew up with a feeling of being affected by racism, even if we didn't know what it was. Like, even if we couldn't completely name it, we didn't have the language for it because we were so young, we both dealt with it. And we didn't just deal with it in those particular instances, we dealt with it in a generational way, right? Because that leads us to the next topic. Like when you are black in America or you are black anywhere in the world, or if you are any race (laughs) anywhere in the world, you might suffer from generational trauma. Like it's not particular to just Black people, you know, it could it can happen to anyone, but you suffer from a kind of generational trauma where the things like the things that affected your your great 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 grandparents can trickle down in weird ways to you. And I feel like that's what also happened to us. What do you think, Sunray? I think a hundred and ten percent yes, because And now we're tying us back into where we began talking about a black identity. I feel like the generational trauma that black people in particular, I'm going to speak to black Americans face has trauma upon us. Yes. We dealt in a, you know, I just got off the phone with a few friends of mine and somehow we got into the conversation of slavery. I don't even know how we got over there, but we got into the conversation of slavery and one of my friends was saying, well, you know, they had slaves all over, though. They they had slaves in uh, Europe. They had slaves in Asia. They had slaves in uh, Africa. The Africans are who sold us over here. So I said, yeah, but you got to be real, real careful with that because there's a different type of slavery that occurred. Yes, all over the world, there was this this form of a feudal slavery where you could work your way out of it or you could, you know, come out of it. Or even if you died doing it, it wasn't the same type of slavery that existed in this country. And so that's a whole other conversation. But with that, the type of slavery that was experienced over here led people into these ways in which things are done that affects how we function now and what we do now. And so like, even when we talked about earlier at the beginning about education, that is a system of trauma effect. Like in their heads, in their minds, if you go to school and if you get a good degree and if you do this, you'll be fine. You can function. Where we've seen that doesn't really matter. Yes. Now don't, please don't take my words out of context. Yes, please educate yourself because I think that's what's wrong with a lot of people in this world. People Mm -hmm. are ignorant and ignorant in the sense of you just don't know the stuff that you ought to know and you don't know the things that you should know. But I am going to say that system of this is what you must do in order to be okay still can't override the effects of systemic racism. There are still things that are part of. Go ahead. No, no, you go on. 
I was just going to say there's still things that are part of systemic racism that PhD, uh, MD, uh, whatever, can't override. And so I think that's part of that mentality of if you just pull up by your bootstraps and work hard, you'll be fine. When there's a lot of other things that we got to pay attention to and look at in order to be able to come out and deal in a different way, if that makes sense. No, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, just this concept of respectability politics where you have to be like a perfect Negro in order to receive basic respect. You have to act just so. You have to dress just so. You have to look just so. Like it feeds right back into Black identity where if you, you know, you think that if you do these things, then you will be able to dodge and avoid generational trauma, right? And yet it presents itself in odd ways. You know, I have just as much as I love being black and I stay black and I'm blickety blickety black. Okay. <laughs> I, I also, right, right, right. I also have to be critical of um, myself and other black people and black culture when I feel that we're going in a skewed, misguided you're going in the wrong damn direction, okay? Just going in the wrong damn direction. And sometimes that's about the things that we value and we disdain that make no damn sense. Like education is is almost always a great thing to have, right? And yet the sometimes the black child who goes off into the world trying to get that education is, you know, bullied by other black people. There's there's the light skin thing that we have mm, among black Jesus. folks. And that has trickled down from white supremacy and from slavery. And even, you know, hundreds of years later, when we know it don't make any damn sense, right? We know it. It still somehow has a hold on us. I think about like... Okay, so I'm going to say it, and I know it may sound crazy, but I'm not looking down on anybody. I'm just going to say it the way it is. It is a real form of generational trauma when you see generations of folks on welfare, when you see generations of families or generations within families who are on drugs or in jail or can never even get to a high school diploma, right? There's something going on there. And that definitely affects the Black community. And I don't say this in some kind of way, like I'm trying to be Candace Owens or anything like that. I'm really not trying Whoa. to. Wait, I'm, I'm not trying to invoke that chick for real. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. Ha! But, but, but I feel more now than ever as we can feel the heat of the wolf on our neck, the, the, the hot breath on our necks ready to bite us, that we have to, we have to, we have to break some of those chains. We have to look at that mm-hmm. trauma and examine it and work through it. Now, if we got to do it with a therapist, if you got to do it by reading, if you got to do it by talking to folks, if you have to change your habits and your ways, whatever we all have to do, it has to be done. What do you think, Samurai? 
but I'm, I agree with you 110%. I think that part of being aware that's being woke as folks like to call it nowadays. Some of y'all still sleeping, but I'm gonna shut up. (laughs) Uh, Part of being aware, (laughs) part of being aware is recognizing where you fall short where you have seen these generational things occurring in your family. And now what are you going to do differently for yourself first? And then for those who are coming behind you, because again, if we don't stop now and make the changes, we continue down this same road and we see the same exact effect in the next 30, 40 years moving on. Right. Well, I'm grateful. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Nope. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to discuss this topic. And hopefully the people who hear this and hear from us, regardless of your walk, you know, where you're coming from, can relate to us. You know, you don't have to be Black to relate to the struggle. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be Sung Ray. You don't have to, you know, be a female to have suffered from identity issues and you know, feeling like an other or like you're outside or feeling or being abused by the system, you, you know, it can just as well happen to any of us. And so when it happens to us, please recognize it could happen to any of you also. That's all I have to say. And I just think in terms of this type of topic, this is just a a place where you want to explore and you want to learn and you want to grow. Don't just mm-hmm. take, and not just because we're talking in terms of Blackness, but don't just take information, hear it, and keep it moving. Delve into it. Do a little bit of digging. Do some self-reflection. And as she said, if you need a therapist, if you need a good friend, whatever you need to do, do what you need to do. But Delve into the topics, figure out how you can make yourself better, not just for the black community, but for the world, because the world is sick right now. Mm-hmm. The world is real sick right now. So as we get ready to go ahead and close out, basically what we've discussed today is we realize that the racisms that we face are not unique singular instances. It's part of a larger history of systemic and institutional racism that sprouted in America. The lynchings of yesteryear are now the police shootings and brutality of today. What was Jim Crow is now the judicial corruption that we see. And so one of the resources that we thought about and, you know, just us talking to each other and seeing things and watching things, if you want to open up your third eye and have it just blown the fuck up, go ahead and watch (laughs) The 13th on Netflix. The 13th on Netflix. And don't just, again, don't just watch it. There's action to be taken behind it. Hmm. Okay. Well. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Right. This is Black Girl Soul, and I am something else. And I am Song Ray. Have a th- good one, you guys, and thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Black Girl Soul. We enjoyed having you, and please subscribe, like, and follow our Facebook page, YouTube channel, Twitter page, Instagram page, and join our Facebook group. You can also find us on Patreon. Please look below for links. See you guys next week.